Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest this week is Elizabeth Debicki. In the latest fifth season of Netflix series, The Crown, Debicki stars as Princess Diana during the period in which Diana's marriage to Prince Charles spirals and devolves into divorce. But in the show's upcoming final season, premiere date TBC, She will play out Diana's tragic death in 1997 in a car accident in Paris. Apart from season six of The Crown, Debicki also has Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming up, and she is SAG nominated for her work in The Crown. All right, so Elizabeth Debicki, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um... So I was just re-watching season five of The Crown for, I think, the third time. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It never gets old. It's so good. Um, And honestly, there are so many seriously rocky, but also such historic landmark moments Mm. that I remember Diana doing, you know, the the sit-down interview I remember all of those things. I remember the photos of her with Dodie for the first time, although we're not there mm-hmm. yet, that's season six. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, the weight of carrying, playing, not only a real person, because I meet a lot of women who play iconic women who really existed. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is a real doozy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Diana um mm. and not only are you playing someone real but you're playing someone who's gone and has mm. has been sort of um I'm blanking on the word um but turned into you know this untouchable perfect mm-hmm. memory for a lot of people mm-hmm. um did you ever freak out to put it in layman's terms oh like uh, so much in so many different ways for such an extended period of time um is the answer to that question I I said yes to doing the part without thinking which was the right way to do it I think in retrospect but once and then I and then because the pandemic you know I remember sitting with Peter Morgan and Suzanne Mackey one of our amazing producers at the very beginning of 2020 
like that weird period of March where um, people were sort of doing that funny thing like what you, you remember that did, everybody remembers where they were in that weird period where we were like is this serious what what is it and do I like and people were making jokes about it and but some people were very scared it's kind of around those that fortnight I remember sitting down with them felt like this thing was like bristling in in on our planet and then what happened was because the pandemic shooting got sort of shut down we, we postponed for nearly a year of production so um, which I think was really the right move for us because the crown operates very much like a family in a way, like we need to be, and it's also a very long shoot. So for us to have done that whole thing with everybody, like very, uh, even more isolated than we were in 2021, that would have been really hard for us. So we, we postponed and then it sort of, it was both a blessing and curse. I had all this time to sort of by osmosis, try and absorb as much information as possible. I realized quite early on that my, but I'm only saying this in retrospect, like my, my, uh, my kind of unconscious decision was I will just spend as much time as I have with this, um, with this information, because once I come onto the set, I'm not, I'm going to try and not think terribly much, which is kind of maybe what I do usually as an actor. But with this, it's, it's sort of like, how, how, how on earth do you get to a point where you're not thinking and comparing and contrasting whilst in front of the camera? Um, God, I've lost... Oh, yeah, terror. So, um, <laughs> all comes back to uh, fear. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I just kind of, because of all that time too, I had a lot of time to stew and overthink. And, um, you know, and the other thing that's tricky as an actor sometimes, well, for me anyway, is like how do you pace yourself through prep? to the point where you feel ready when you begin, but you don't want to sort of overcook anything and you don't want to feel unprepared. It's a really strange, delicate dance that nobody knows what you need except you. You know, it's like if you if you just leave the pub because you're like, I have to go now and sit on my couch and think about this character. Only you know why you need to do that all of a sudden on a Wednesday. But... Um, yeah, I had lots of anxiety that was really crippling for a while. Um, and I guess I just sort of worked through it as a matter of necessity. Mm. Yeah. You know, I thought a lot about how um, her mannerisms might have got kind of baked into your life. Because mm. obviously there's a lot of very specific Dianaisms um, that you you really nailed. So it's almost... It's uncanny, and I'm sure people have said that to you a lot, but where you lower the chin and you look up from under the lashes, that was such a Dianaism. And mm. I mean, it's much more complex than that. I don't mean to be mm. reductive. No. You know, I, how, did, do you sort of have to consciously divest yourself of, of her mannerisms and her... her it's a really good question. I'm not because I'm still shooting season six right now. So so I'm in New York doing these little bits of press kind of and I'm ultimately I'm here because I'm extremely I feel very, very blessed to have been nominated for a SAG Award, which is so lovely. And the ensemble is nominated as well, which is so nice. And so yeah. that's why I'm over here. I've got this little break in shooting. Um uh so so I'm still doing it. You know, when I land back in London in two weeks, I'm like on set the next day. So there's a part of you that I think you retain, you retain in your body and in your kind of nervous system, what you need to be able to like quickly access while you're playing a role. 
Um, but then I think it's also a conversation about, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, I guess when people play real life characters and people say, oh, you're still doing it or, oh, you're using the voice or people sort of say this to actors who've played real life people for a long time. I guess what, I guess it's just more obvious when they haven't necessarily like exercised that thing from them. Because when you just make up a normal character, you wouldn't really know, for instance, if I still have that churning through my nervous system. Mm. But with someone like Princess Diana, you it's also like a catch-22 because it sort of means like sometimes I wonder, did I do any of that anyway naturally before? Like, you know, now if I sort of like mildly tilt my head and look up, everyone goes, oh, she's still doing it, you know, and I go, oh, my God, is that going to be the rest of my life now, you know? Um, <laughs> I do sometimes do it, I think, when I, it's, it's, it's funny, like, I was explaining this to someone the other day, I can't remember who, but it's sort of like, you become so used to, uh, like, releasing yourself and, like, letting that thing in, or whichever direction that ha- that process happens, when a camera is rolled in front of you. So when you start doing, like, talk shows or whatever, like, I think there's muscle memory in there that you, your body kind of goes, oh, I know how to deal with this. This is your protection mechanism, you know, so... It probably really takes a long time, but I'm also probably doomed now. If I ever look up through my eyelashes, people are going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> in 20 years' time, I'll be like, but it. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I, I did hear the, well, actually, Deadline reported and uh, Peter Morgan told us, um, or we heard via some people on the show that, um, you know, in season six, when Diana passes away, we're not actually going to see anything graphic and we're not going to go through the the mechanics of what happened, which to me was sort of a relief. Mm. Um, I thought about how it must have felt to be you approaching those scenes. It's so, it's such a trigger flashpoint in, in a, a memory for so many people. Yeah. Um, what was it like on set at that time? And, and were you anxious about approaching those scenes? I think you shot them what, around October last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then into towards the end of last year as well. Um, there's no, you know, the simplest way to say it's, it's kind of two layers to how I sort of, because again, I'm not always very terribly like, sounds terrible to say you're not super conscious but you're really so much sort of just you're just in the thing you're under the wave of just trying to tell these pieces of the story as delicately as you can and so you have to in a way approach it like you do any scene understand exactly what it is you're trying to say but there's no there's no doubt that this has had a tremendous effect on my heart and my brain and my body. Uh, it's it's incredibly sad material. However, I'm also playing a character without a, an awareness in a way. And so it's almost like as the actor, I am split between playing a scene and, under, and then understanding the really the ramifications are very real for me of what we're putting on screen, what it means, what we should and shouldn't do. Um, and I, and I always had a lot of opinions about that. And mm. um, I, I suppose if you play somebody for a two years time, 
you're naturally extremely protective as well over like what you're doing and you have very strong instincts on what does or doesn't feel real or good to you. But I also know that everybody on this job, their intention is always to approach things with or or, or sort of create the interpretation with as much I know it's a kind of overused word, but sort of respect and a sense of responsibility of telling the story, knowing how real it was and is still for many people and is a memory that's very strong and needs to be treated with dignity. And I think that that's always my intention. And yeah, that's just that's just how I come to work. I just think, okay, how do I do this in the most truthful way? And then my actor human person Elizabeth brain feels it deeply and it's very very sad and it and I carry that a lot and I carried that a lot and I think it made me probably a difficult person to be around in a way because I would come home from work and I would feel that in a very deep way and it's a it's like basically like holding a very particular space open for the thing to keep being created and that that was yeah that was difficult but necessary because that's the story we're telling. So, yeah. um, there are real moments of some moments of joy and lightness. Um, we really get to see in season five. Um, there's a great scene. I love it so much where there's that TV poll. Do you want to keep the royal family? And Diana just keeps repeat dialing. No. Mm-hmm. And that's just where you get to see like, you know, she's got this sort of wicked, teenager kind of humor mm. and um and then you also in season six yeah we'll get to meet you know um William and Harry more and all of that storyline but um you get to play out I think this point in Diana's life where uh she, you know she was actually kind of having a good time for the mm. first time in a long time mm. I can't wait to see that to see mm. that summer that she had um, mm. As sad as it all, all is in the end, mm. Mm. Um, there must be some some pleasure in in playing that part of her life. Yeah, there has been. It's been enormously lighter at times, which was kind of a strange experience in a way. I, it's almost like sometimes I don't I don't know about you, but sometimes in life when you when you have like a really good string of days or something you sometimes you feel like when is the shoe going to drop you know this sense of like what what's missing oh anxiety like or whatever it is you know sometimes as an actor I would think is this like almost the same job like I'm having the loveliest time and and the the boys who play my kids on it are older so there was a lot more room for lots more chat lots more back chat lots more silly <laughs> silly games and stupid pranks and we we just had the three of us were just really happy to be working together and a lot of the times I think they just ran camera and I've never corpsed so much in my life and I would just think oh well just I don't know that's probably the best bit of the take anyway because they're just those kids just crack me up and and I get to cuddle them against their will a lot. And so I was much, anyway, yeah, I was just like sort of much happier. And and it felt, it feels very important to me as the actor inside of that to really allow that to be on screen, to allow that joy 
and that silliness and the sort of yeah that that humor that wit and I think that that profound sort of vivid thing that that like uh that luminous vivid thing that we just think of when we think of this incredible woman and and um you know it's like it's I've watched so much so many hours of footage of of Princess Diana and she is just you can watch it for hours it's a, a mesmerizing presence of like joy and light and and that is that was always very important to find places for that for me so with season five I really would look for them and because the story is obviously like you said you know there's like there's there it sort of spikes in moments but it isn't overall I think there's a lot of heaviness there so I would push really hard for things and like that tape that tape um you know the the the, the panel mm-hmm. they voting yes or no for the monarchy I mean that was joyous I feel like that took me about half an hour I was like I know what to do <laughs> I know what to do I've been waiting to do this kind of stuff on screen for and also I think the scene it's interesting to me there's a scene with Muhammad Al fired um Salim Dor who plays him is just like the most glorious beautiful like clown like gorgeous actor with this like sad beauty to him and he's also incredibly funny he actually makes the kids laugh like laugh to the point where like the take is unusable um <laughs> But he, yeah, he and I had this one scene that like a lot of people have said to me, oh, that's one of my favorite scenes. And to me, I think that's so interesting. It's because we see this kind of joy of connection. And I feel like in our consciousness, that's how we remember her and also how we need to see her and how we need to see her portrayed. And so it makes sense to me that people love that side. Mm. I love it too. And I pushed. I pushed and I pushed for lots of silly pranks and things that never made it. But, yeah. Oh, I would love silly pranks from Diana. That would no, been... I know. You know, little things got in. Like I remember saying to my director, Jess Hobbs, I was like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to eat some chocolate yogurt in this scene. And that's what's <laughs> happening. And I'm going to wrap myself up in this telephone call. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and I did it. Everyone's like, that was great. I was like, that's because we need, we need clowning. That's what we need. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, you're not um, a spokesperson for the royal family or a politician or, you know, this is not your role. But so it's a little unfair, I'm sure, that people ask you about the royal family. But <laughs> um, just curious, have you watched Harry and Meghan's show? I watched one episode of it and I didn't stop watching it because I didn't like it. I, I just didn't have time. It's on my like Netflix queue thing, yeah. Um, and and my takeaway from that was, well, I think I I don't know. I I'm not English. I like yeah. I would like to sometimes wear a t-shirt to be like I am not an authority on this. I am not from this exactly. place. I did not grow up here. I'm a part of the Commonwealth, sure, but you know, which I think has always been like a little bit of a an asset playing this role as well because I have this kind of distance to observe it and slightly different I guess it's less personal for me essentially Mm but um I found it refreshing that to watch on screen somebody break down the sort of systematic um hounding of people by the British press that to me Mm -hmm. was really 
uh, yeah, deeply refreshing. I remember thinking, oh, thank God someone's just literally, I'm like, we could use more, all the diagrams, just explain how this is churned into this and that's transmorphed into that and that is kind of abusive and then this is what people see and now we can all decide, you know, because it's on a front page that it's true or not true. And except that I think people, and we're all guilty of this, assume that because we're reading it somewhere that there's a kernel of truth to it and so often it is a massive manipulation. And I found that really refreshing. Having done my little tiny bit of like his, history lessons sort of prepping for this and and then obviously playing a character who's just whose life was just absolutely just controlled in so many ways by her relationship to the media and of course there was a transaction there um uh but there was also an enormous amount of abuse and manipulation so i found that refreshing i remember thinking good i'm glad somebody just said like listen this is how it is um now i'm i'm also sort of like the, the conversation that happened around the crown de- with the media in the UK was really interesting to me. I understand all the angles of it and I understand, you know, I think it's a valid thing to discuss in a way, but I also think it's clear that the show is fictional interpretation and I, um, based on historical events. And so I didn't really understand why it was drawn out for as many months as it was. And But I, again, I don't know, I thought maybe I, I don't get it because I'm not from there. Anyway, I'm always very nervous right. to say anything because then I think... Oh, no, I, un- I understand. Back. I understand. You know, yeah, I get why. Um, but yeah, it's like you say, it's it's really the machine of the tabloids and it's very yeah. unique to the UK. And, and I think it really- is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's really sort of prolific too. It's like it's mm. constant churning over of, of material and I, I think it must be incredibly hard to live under oh, that yeah. microscope. So, yeah. Well, if you're ready, we can jump into the 20 questions. I'm ready. <laughs> I got my Twizzler. I love that you're eating Twizzlers. I only eat them when I'm here. I, so yeah. American. <laughs> so American. I don't even really know what it is that it tastes like, but it tastes like a memory. Did you have that? Wait, you grew up in Australia, in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Do you have them in Australia? No. This is a purely American thing. It's strange to me. It tastes like chemicals <laughs> with a hint of strawberry. <laughs> I mean, it's technically, strange. it's whatever red licorice is, which sounds like a made-up thing to me. Um, oh, yeah, I used to I think red licorice when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. What is it actually made of? Who knows? Don't look. Mm, Don't never. look back. <laughs> Listen, this is coming from a person that ate a bag of Cheetos for dinner last night. That's plastic food, you know, or not even food. So we're on the same page. Yeah, good. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so first question. What is your favorite thing about your current project? And I say this because we're focusing on the crown, but if you want to talk about other current projects, whatever you want to talk about. So I know you have mm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. is not mm. you. Well, what is my favorite thing about the crown? There's a lot of things about it that I love and I'm grateful for. I think one of my favorite things about the crown is that it has been such a challenge and a satisfying challenge that it has forced me to learn 
quickly and evolve. And I think that when you, it's kind of the nature of television in a way, it's, it's the durational element of it in the sense of like coming back to meet that challenge every day for two years. It, it forces you into a place of kind of constant, constantly learning things about your craft that you might have escaped learning or wiggled out of the uncomfortable lessons if you were doing a faster job or or you were less terrified of it or there was less pressure on it. So I really think that, you know, I, I, I could feel things shifting in my thinking and my approach to things because it was difficult. And, and I'm really grateful for that because I think that, yeah, I think dis- discomfort, like good creative discomfort, is such feckin' territory, one of my favourite words. In oh, feckin'. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and you really do kind of like things, things have to be shared and things have to grow. And that that doesn't, you know, it, I know myself, I'm so capable of wiggling out of, we all are. You know, we go, oh, God, that's, oh, go and look at that. And um, with this job, it was just like, no, you're going to come back and look in that metaphorical mirror every day and figure it out. And I think... Yeah, I think that's been like just truly kind of weird joy. <laughs> mm. yeah. What was the moment you realised you wanted to do the job that you do? Um, I, my parents were dancers, so I grew up in a family that... Ballet dancers, were, right? Yeah, yeah, they both trained classically and then did different kinds of dance. Mm. you know, in their 20s, 30s, professionally. Um, so we had a, I guess, like an inherently, there's like an inherent theatrical bend to the, our family life. Uh, but because they were dancers, we, 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 we saw a lot of dance and we did a lot of dance and that was, you know, so it's kind of like that's what we knew. Like my parents didn't take me to see plays. We saw every traveling companies you know mum would be like we're going to look at this you know like Pina Bausch piece that's come in for and I was like seven and I was like I just want the ice cream I don't care you know when is interval but it was I mean what a gift really because like I was I saw so much from such a young age but I didn't really see theater you know so it sounds kind of strange but I always I, I look back now and realize I was always drawn to acting, but I lived in the dance world for a really long time. I always, I had a profoundly, like, kind of insanely active imagination as a child. Every space was a tiny little, like, scene. I think that probably a lot of actors can relate to this. It's like, oh, there's a double door there in a manor house. Let me push through it and become, you know, and you're, like, eight years old and it's ripe and you're... So I guess it was kind of just like always what I was doing. And then at a certain point, I realized I could do it potentially as a job. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, it's probably the most natural progression. I didn't have one of those moments like I saw somebody on stage and I went, oh, that, you know, it was more just like, oh, it just is what has made sense to me and what I love to think about and do. Mm. Um, you talked a little bit about your parents but was there another early childhood inspirational person that pushed you along or inspired you in some way you know I had a 
like many actors, I had a really amazing high school drama teacher. And I went to mm. a school that was very academic and very heavy, heavily involved in the music scene, orchestras winning the Steadfords and all that stuff. But I didn't do any of that. And then at a certain point, this this high school teacher named Mr. Bawbley, Daniel Bawbley, he was suddenly taking over the drama department and he was just this like beautiful man with a dream to kind of like establish drama in the school. Which I think the years after I left, like it became much more common to do like a, a big school play, and, you know. And um, he just was deeply kind and deeply encouraging. I think because he was young too. I mean, I look back, you know, he seemed so old to me when I was 15, but he was probably like 32. Um, and he, you know, he was like very encouraging and he would give me parts in the plays and, and, you know, I remember doing like, you have to do all your assignments and he would sort of like, he was just one of those amazing teachers that is sort of like put so much time aside for the kids that he's teaching and like way above and beyond the call. And, um, and I remember that when I, when it was my final year of high school, I was doing all my exams, but at the same time, the drama school auditions were happening, which I, I assume kind of happens everywhere. Like I'm sure the ones in New York and, you know, it, and it's, it, it's like an awful, terrifying process where actors have to learn monologues and go in and do it. And, and there's like these enormous pools that get sort of smushed down to like 16 people that might get in. And, um, but I had never done any, I, I did, I'd never done a monologue. I just had absolutely no idea how to do any of it. And I remember sort of going on the internet and I was like, typing away like how do I audition for NIDA or VCA which is the school in Melbourne I ended up going to and you know and then there's like a drop down bar of like all these Shakespearean monologues and I was just thrown for like I was just like I have no idea so I remember going hanging around after class and saying to Mr. Bulbley like I I I gotta do an audition you know like reading from like Angels in America (laughs) you know (laughs) Harper and um he was like okay kid we're gonna do it and I remember like being in that auditorium on the stage and and him just you know it was probably like before school or whatever like just what a sweetheart and he he came and you know and he really helped me like structure the thing so by the time I got up and did it for these terrifying panels with you know 200 other people in the room I mean it's just like just terror those auditions are so hard to do I think he really really helped me probably even like helped me apply I you know so shout out to that beautiful man who I'm, I don't know I haven't seen him for many many years but he yeah he was one of those people I think a lot of a lot of actors had a great someone in their high school that saw something and said you know what don't do this okay. thing that you're the your parents or whoever you know the system is like funneling you into this but I really think you should take seriously the thing you want to do and so yeah a lot of people that come on this podcast say their high school drama teacher was the person yeah Um, what were the posters you had on your bedroom wall as a kid do you remember so I didn't I didn't have post so first of all I decided at a tender age that I had to have the walls of my bedroom bright orange no idea I have like I I look I think back and I'm like what propelled that choice 
I remember being, you know, like, you know, my your first boyfriend like comes over for dinner and you're like, this is your my bedroom. And I remember he was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, it's so orange. He's like, she's crazy. Yeah, he's like, wow, interesting <laughs> choice. Um, um but Wait, I how but old I, were you in this situation? I think I you mean the boyfriend situation or the room painting? Well, either, yeah. I think I think I went to the hardware store and picked out the orange paint at like age 14 and then it was he was probably like, like you know my college boyfriend and I was okay. like yeah going over to mum and dad's house for dinner and I was like in the bedroom um and, uh, <laughs> but I what I did do obsessively was like collage one wall of my which when I eventually kind of moved countries and whatever and the house slowly gets emptied of all the children and I remember once going over and like very carefully taking the thing apart so it's it is like somewhere kind of folded up in sections in a box because you don't think anything of it when you look at it but when I came back at like you know 27 looked at it, I went holy shit that is like some detailed it is like a detailed map of my very early like late teens early 20s brain oh probably even earlier it would have just been like I, I was just obsessed with theater and art and and I would just kind of like and strange thing a lot of the things was were like movies I'd never seen yet or but for some reason I you know and there'd be like a picture of Kate Blanchett and then there would be like a picture with which is like a holy valid crush and of course she was the only person I remember from that college just a big picture of Kate's face like a god in the center of the thing and um and then just you know lots of little things and and weird imagery and uh, yeah that's what I remember doing I was quite like dedicated to that little collage I get I grew up in the in the suburbs and I suppose there was a little piece of me that was just like desperately just Maybe I was creating like a portal, like on, if I <laughs> like straight into the. <laughs> you were manifesting. Have you have you told Kate Blanchett about this? No, I think I worked with her. Like the second job I did, I did a play with her and Isabel. Isabel was probably also in that wall, and um, Isabel Huppert. Sorry, and I knew uh, her. yeah, I love her. She's a legend. Yeah, oh she God. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it would have been super weird. You know, like if I was like, you were on my childhood beautiful. <laughs> um, like you so can I tell did. them on the last day. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't never. I never did. <laughs> Next time I see her, I'll be like, guess what? Um, but, I'll tell uh, her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I would still, by the way, I would still put Kate on any wall. Like just. Oh yeah. Um. So that was kind of the stuff on my bedroom wall, yeah. Mm. What was the first movie you ever saw in a theatre? I was thinking about this. I think, I, I don't actually know for sure, but I think it was Toy Story 1, which would have made sense because I would have been about yeah. five, six. Right. And I'm pretty sure that I saw that, but I don't know where. I We weren't like, my parents... Yeah, I don't remember going to the... Well, I mean, you don't take children to the cinema, do you? Because they're like, they just wriggle around and want to leave. So I would have been about five or six. Like that, before we had, you know, streaming at home, everything. Yeah, yeah. It's like an afternoon matinee that you see. Yeah, yeah, that kids can go to and and squirm around Mm. and wriggle. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think it might have been Toy Story, but that that could be... Yeah, 
I know, what um, a classic. I rewatched recently, honestly. It's so good. It really holds up. It's got it, it all. It really does, yeah. yeah. Um, what's a TV or film character you wanted to be? Ooh. Okay, the true, the, the true, like, origin of that is that I was, as a child, like, a Captain Planet, like, fanatic, and all I wanted to do was be link up with the power of wind. And I used to watch it in French and I was obsessed, obsessed. So, you know, like. You uh, watched it in French? Well, yeah, I was born in France and we lived there till I was five. So oh, I so used you, to, you were fluent. fluent. Yes. And I used to, my, my parent, one of my parents' favorite stories is that I used to like, when I would meet anyone from the age of like two to five, I would present as Linka, like they would, you know. <laughs> They would be like, "What? What's her name?" You know, and I would be like, "Link it." My parents would be behind me going, "It's not. It's really not." <laughs> you know, I was obsessed with her, and so I suppose we have to like include her because she's part of the origin story. Because I really was sort of like that. She is the shit. You know, she is like she's so powerful and she's cool and she's a cool outfit and that blonde ponytail and she was a babe. I was like, love oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? What's a job that's pretty weird? Um, oh, you mean acting roles or actual jobs? Anything. anything. <laughs> I was like, I mean, a lot of weird. A lot, a lot of people go say to me, oh, you know, act, it doesn't get any weirder than acting. Yeah. But, it's you know, it I used to teach contemporary dance on weekends um, for like pocket rent money. Hmm. that was a joyful thing and I was very proud of my classes that I used to teach them I basically used to transfer like what I would watch in my like art school my like super avant-garde art school I had friends who were dancers and I used to go and watch their choreography and I'd just like nick it all and then take it back to the suburban dance school where the kids are like 13 I'd be like today is all about Bjork and then we would like do these incredible <laughs> things and I would make their costumes by hand and I I loved these kids so much and the class I remember started out like quite small and by the end I had like I remember I had like 15 kids and I had like a bunch of I young boys that. too and so we could do it awesome. and they were beautiful and they also were I managed to kind of like give them some sense I mean, we used to sometimes just for a laugh like I'd enter them into like a Stedfords they were not we were not qualified at all and we would but they had this sense that they were like rebelling against something because I would fill them full of this confidence that what we had to offer was art and it doesn't matter that we're nowhere near the you know they'd be like these really polished professional troops and then my kids would come in and just feel like so cool because they would, you know, and then we would do like a full, like a, they would always be like Hessian and rolling around and they'd be like acting. And and then we, and and I still somewhere have like the write-ups for those Estedfords where we would score like the lowest possible score on like every <laughs> category. And I would take it to them the next day and be like, see, see, they don't understand. And, and honestly, like it was the most joyful thing because they would, I just remember watching them walk into those, because it's always a kind of like big conference center and there's like lots of hairspray and, and sort mm. of competitiveness. And my kids were just like these kind of sweet kids who just like loved doing it. And yeah, that was, that was a weird oh, and great I job. I yeah. love you created uh, a whole bunch of kids with real confidence. That's yeah. 
Right. One of my other questions is, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? So is it that or is there something else? Um, my true, my, my truest secret passions is that I am like a, I'm, I would love to be an anthropologist. I would mm. love to have studied anthropology and archaeology. I'm extremely obsessed with it. And I watch, my favorite show is a show called Digging for Britain. Um, that is about, I tell everybody this, it, it's because it's the best. It, it's a, this amazing woman who's like a biologist, a doctor and anthropologist. And she like goes all over like Wales and whatever. And they're like these amazing people who've spent their whole life dedicated to like unearthing these like one piece of mosaic structure. That is my jam. Like I sit there and watch that for hours and I'm basically trying to, I've decided maybe I should start a kind of campaign campaign where one day I get to do like a guest spot on Digging for Britain. Oh my God, let's get it out there. Let's oh, it out. I would snap you off in a heartbeat. Come on. Oh my God, I would love it. I would be like panning around and then I'd find like a little arrow flint head and I would be like, this is the best day of my life. Oh, so I found an arrow flint head on a, I grew up in Norfolk. I found one on the beach. See? I mean, it's well, yeah, but then my mum looked at it and went, oh, God, ten a penny, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, my friend was having her kitchen renovated. She lives in, in like, northwest London, and, like, they were, like, to, they took all the floor out of the kitchen, and then they had sort of, like, took a layer of dirt, and I was like, keep going, just keep going. <laughs> like, it, everything's so ancient. If you just go far enough into the ground, you're going to hit Roman, like, at some yeah, point. Yeah, there's going to be some centurion stuff down there. <laughs> yeah, keep keep looking. Yeah. It's like if you go to, I could talk about this for hours, I'll try not to, but if you go to um, St. Bartholomew's Church mm-hmm. in central London, mm-hmm. it was built in 1123, and I know that because my mum used to live next door to it. Oh, wow. Um, it's like really, they have to have like a kind of basement level entrance to it because the floor back then in the 1100s was, you know, it's, several feet lower than mm-hmm. it's crazy you've got to go see it mm-hmm. I will like, I'm gonna go, to I'll go. Down into it. Yeah. I, yeah I mean that's one of the like beautiful things I mean like digging for Britain um <laughs> it's like it's so gorgeous too because it's England is England Wales and Ireland it's like so it's so naturally beautiful and then it just has this incredible history to it and, Mm. yeah so that's what I would love to a part of me just really wishes I sometimes could like I had I possess the knowledge that I could like part-time do it but it's really it's really not something you could just jump on like you go to university so it's a a lifelong pursuit um so what about when was the last time you cried uh yesterday Mm. morning uh probably around 11 a.m no, Very specific. 10, 10 a.m. because I had a meeting at 11. <laughs> so by 11, you were fresh, fresh and yeah. yeah, good to go. Very healthy. Yeah. It's weird yeah. the amount of people that don't remember or... or yeah, you know, I'm not just... one of those people. Hmm. I cry a lot. Uh, a lot of things make me cry. Also, um and then there's other factors, right? Like fatigue is it really affects how kind mm. of open you are, how porous I am. Anyway, me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I cry. I cry all the time when I'm very happy, and then I also cry about other things. But yesterday, yeah, mm. yeah, that was 
but not today. I've been doing morning shows all day and everyone's very, very nice, so. No one's made you cry yet today. <laughs> no, good. This is a win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, you're packing your nuclear bunker. What do you take to watch? And you're not allowed digging for Britain. You have to say something else. <laughs> oh, oh my God, that's so rude. What do you take to watch? How much stuff can I take? Anything you want, but, you know, I think... I always sort of say to people when they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, imagine it's the, the apocalypse, but you've still got electricity. So you okay. can Wi-Fi, you can stream. Okay. okay. I'm going to take Gilmore Girls Ooh. as a okay. reminder of, like, imaginary America where everything is fine. Oh, um, yeah. I'm going to definitely take Harry Potter. This is going to be so lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love lowbrow. I'm all about it. I might take like some old '80s, like Agatha Christie's, like Poirot. Yeah, with David Suchet. With David Suchet, yeah. Or Ustinov. No, mm. Suchet for me. Suchet for me, yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, I mean, uh, this is a hard one. Um, I, I, I do watch like good films uh, like you know uh, brainy people things sometimes um <laughs> one of my favorite films of all time is shoplifters so i'd probably take shoplifters because it's just the most extraordinarily beautiful thing um i love that film diving Bound the butterfly i'd probably mm-hmm. take that film um uh i don't know what else oh um, I would take Bridges of Madison County. Oh my and- God, I love that. Yeah. So who was it I had on here? Who was it? Oh, it was it was Kerry Condon from Banshee's. Oh my God, Minister. I love that woman. She picked Bridges of Madison County as well. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like we're doing quite well. I I take um broadcast news. I love broadcast oh, news. Yeah, good one. Um, and then I definitely I wouldn't go without. Um, you've got mail. Really? Yeah, I'm a big yeah. you've got mail person. That's a real comfort watch for me. You like that more than Sleepless in Seattle? It's hard. It's hard. I think what's really happened is I've watched Sleepless in Seattle so many times that you've got mail still got like a little ring of like <laughs> we watched it twenty times, not like fifty. Um, I feel like that's not a bad site. I could really go forever. So I feel like. That's kind of like a real snapshot of my brain. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Who is your dream dinner companion, living or dead? Oh, my God. Um, apart from my sister, I've always said Virginia Woolf, but then... Huh. I feel like Virginia might be difficult to have for dinner. I feel like difficult, spiky, like you wouldn't have your... You might uh, not crack up. Digestion might not... Uh... I, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go really, really left of field here. Because mm. I did actually think about this one when I was walking down the street before. And I was thinking, it's not so much that I want to have a conversation with them, but like, I'm trying to think of like a historical figure that if they were just sat in front of me and I could just like behold them in the flesh... Mm. like just be near them for a second who would that be and I thought you know it would be pretty amazing to be like five feet away from Elizabeth the first 
Ooh. Like imagine if she was just in front of you, like eating some soup, and you just yeah. got to like look at, like just feel. Good choice. You know what I mean? Like that would be kind of wild. She took um, no goodness, that woman. I yeah, I just like. And there's also a part of me, like, I was also thinking I could use this question, the answer to this question, because I feel like there's also people that you, like, history has spun them in a way, but you kind of think, I really actually would like to know mm. the answer to some of the great mysteries, but also just, like, know who you were, you know? I don't know. I don't know I why. Brilliant, brilliant choice. Um, yeah. And surprising. I love it. And in keeping with the crown, it's got all the things. I do what I can. And in keeping <laughs> with digging for Britain, if I'm honest. And that. Okay, we've got time for like two more. Okay. Um, what is the toughest scene you've ever had to play? Okay. There's a lot. I have, I've had a lot of violence done unto me on screen, mm. which is really tough. And I think you get to a point too where you think, why are we... Why this keep happening and I need to do some comedy but um I did a, s- a sequence in Tenant um that was backwards and forwards with Ken Branner and Blue and Red Room and like really kind of quite violent and I got sort of shot and then unshot and we shot it for quite a few days so the outcome of it is a kind of amazingly gripping dramatic sequence but it was highly technical but it also required me to sort of engage in it emotionally for a really long time with a a kind of mask over my that was a combination of things where I really kind of crawled out the end of those three days and I was like I don't ever want to do that again and I Mm. think when I think about days where you just think whoa that was like a lot that was a hard day on set that was probably mm. one of them. Yeah, it was. It was tough, mm. and you know, it's it's like I understood. It was a piece of the story, and we had to get it on the camera. But it, yeah, it was it was it was a tough day for sure. Mm. Yeah. All right, last one. When was a time that you were starstruck in your life? The most recent time I was starstruck was, I'm kind. I'm, I have a. Have you seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on? I love it, and I have interviewed both the creators. And okay. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Jenny Slate, and I yeah. went to the Golden Globes for the first time ever, and it was kind of a super surreal room to be in. And then I spied Jenny Slate, and I was like, if I get up and say one thing, because kind of get nervous, like going up to people and being like, I love your work. But I was like, I saw her yeah. there too. I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I was like, oh well, that's because I didn't get up to do anything except <laughs> attack Jenny Slate, and she was the nicest lady. And I was honestly just, she was so beautiful and like gentle, and I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've, I've always been a really big fan of her comedy, and but then I just think what she did with that movie was so that. But I also once did meet Meryl Streep backstage after doing a play, and she was the most warm luminous kind person and honestly it was like it was like staring into like this warm thing and she held she sort of took a hold of my hand to give me this very kind compliment about the play and then Kate was there and Isabel was there and um here in New York actually and uh 
And she was holding onto my hand and she kind of held it. She kind of held onto it. She would never remember this. She kind of held onto it and sort of like, then it kind of put it sort of like on her chest. And then was like continuing to talk to everybody else for, I don't even know how many minutes. And I like, I just sort of like had my hand like up like that. And I didn't, I didn't like so much as wiggle a tendon because I was like, if she remembers she's holding on to it, she's going to go, oh, sorry, and give it back to me. So I was just like, oh she's still holding on to it. And that was an attachment. It was one of the best moments That's of my life. Brilliant. Yeah. I love that. I love that she sort of unconsciously was so affectionate. So kind. Yeah. So incredibly yeah. kind. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much. I can't wait for season six. I wish that you could somehow also make another night manager because that's one of my nuclear bunker things. Uh-huh. I love it. Your your portrayal of Jed is like oh, so brilliant. Anyway, I digress. Um we don't have a date for season six of The Crown yet, I think. But no. This year though, later this, it is year. this year. Yeah can't wait to see it it's just yeah it's gonna it's gonna start that british tabloid machine rolling again yeah i might but... i might move to barbados actually by that point <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm really looking forward to seeing it when do you finish filming um tbc i think i think we kind of wrap up sometime in april and mm. um but it's the last season now so everyone's kind of like it's a labor of love i, I don't think anybody wants to leave any sp- don't untone so mm-hmm. it's a long shoot for us yeah yeah well good luck with the rest of the shoot thank you and congratulations on the nomination and oh, best of luck with everything much. thank you it was really thank nice to talk you. to you you too nice to meet you thank you again elizabeth debicki for more 20 questions on deadline listen and subscribe on spotify and apple podcasts and read our awards line magazine at deadline.com